In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today's Gospel is the account from St. Mark that tells us about the, the healing of a paralytic in uh, Capernaum. Now it seems that in Madrid these last few days some roofs have seeded under the weight of so much snow which they're not used to having and it seems that a number of roofs have collapsed because of the the weight of all that snow that they're not used to because like lately Madrid apparently has had major a major snowfall and snow and so all these roofs collapsed but today from the gospel it wasn't a roof that collapsed but a roof that was intentionally taken apart by friends of a paralytic so that they could let down their friends, their friend rather, the paralytic, and lower him in front of Jesus. This took place in Capernaum, which was the town of Peter and Andrew, where they had their business, their affairs, and probably it we can imagine that this this house where this took place might well have been the home of well where Peter and Andrew lived and most likely the you know Peter's wife lived there or her her family and that's probably where Jesus healed uh, his mother-in-law she wasn't particularly happy with all these people coming and going it's probable that there was a kind of a patio and uh, and then and there were several adjacent rooms all around, and um, and that's where Jesus would have healed Peter's mother-in-law. She initially had not been happy, and then she had a fever. But we were told that uh, Jesus grabbed her hand, and. Suddenly, the fever left her. She rose and began uh, to serve them. There are other times where Jesus grabs somebody's hand in the gospel. He did this, for example, when when Jesus was on the storm at sea, walking on the water, and Peter said to him, If this is really you walking on the water bid me to come to you on walking on the water and that's what Jesus said he said yeah come come to me and Peter indeed began walking on the water but then when he saw the waves and as you know he he got very panic stricken 
was totally frightened and began to sink. And he said, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, saying, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Just as he had done with his own mother-in-law. And that action of reaching out to somebody with his hand, and it was a, well, a kind of a warm reaching out, but it was, it was, a, it was a comforting hand that healed the mother-in-law, that lift him in, lifted Peter out of the water. And now, ultimately, the same conclusion is reached with this scene of the paralytic who is lowered from this rooftop by his friends. He was not just healed physically from his infirmity, of his, of his paralysis, like, like he healed the mother-in-law, but... Jesus did the only, basically did what only God can do. He forgave that paralytic of his sins. It says, seeing their faith, that is, seeing the faith of the friends of the paralytic, he says, he said to him, your sins are forgiven. Take your mat, you know, and then, and then, well, at first he said, your sins are forgiven, and everybody was astonished at this, but only God can do this. And, uh, but let us stop at that. Seeing their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. No doubt Jesus saw how daring they were, the interest that these fellows had for their friend, how they were willing to do whatever it took to bring their friend physically in front of Jesus, face to face. It was as though it was not enough for them to simply explain who Jesus was or to explain ideas about Jesus or tell, the, tell their friend stories about Jesus. They really wanted their friend to see Jesus face to face and, and they, they really wanted Jesus to heal him. In other words, more was needed than just ideas. They needed this face to face uh, encounter. And that is what we help to bring about whenever we bring a soul to confession, whenever we manage to get somebody to go to confession. We help to bring about this face-to-face -face encounter with Christ and His grace. Indeed, every time we go to confession, there is a kind of a face-to-face -face encounter with, with Jesus Himself and His grace seeing their faith seeing their faith he said the gospel says same thing in Matthew it says the same thing seeing their faith see our faith cannot be so personal so our own that it can never be seen or heard or even suspected by others it can't be so private so our own that, that we never mention it to others our faith, what we believe, even, even what we do. Some people are afraid to talk to their friends about their faith. They're afraid that this is, this is going to be seen as some sort of impeding their freedom or something like that. Of course, when you have a great happiness, when you have a great joy, the natural thing is that you want to tell your friends about this great joy.
And really, there are a few things that bring us more joy than the joy of for, or confessing our sins and, of course, having our sins uh, forgiven. It's a great joy. That's why in the shrine of Torresidad in, uh, in Spain that St. Josemaria oversaw back in the 70s, he wanted there to be a large chapel where there would be, I think, something like 40 confessionals. 40 confessionals. So that there would be occasions where there would be pilgrimages and you could have, you know, 40 priests there and many, many people go, would go to confession. That was his great dream. Normally there are not that many people, but uh, sometimes there, there are. But the rector, the former rector of that place, that recently passed away and, and they had interviews with him and he, he recounts how it is his greatest joy to see um, people arriving there at Torcidath. They go to confession with their family or somebody brings them to confession and then they, they go back out afterwards on the esplanade and they go back out practically leaping and you know doing doing somersaults because they're so happy. That's, that's the joy that comes when we are in the state of grace. And uh, Jesus saw the faith of these. And, of course, that faith was united with charity since they had, they had uh, gone to so many lengths to bring their, their friend to Jesus. He was an unfortunate fellow. He had this paralysis. We don't know how long he had this. But they knew that Jesus could heal him. And uh, there were these practical difficulties of getting him to see Jesus. And we shouldn't stop those difficulties. Right now we have practical difficulties as well. We don't have tons of people. We have the opposite. We have few people around, obviously, with the pandemic. But maybe it's more difficult. Maybe since churches are closed and all that stuff. I recently had to hear somebody's confession and, you know, I had to go to another church and it had to be arranged, very specific time. And, uh, uh, you know, the pandemic has, has really limited these kinds of encounters, which normally would have been quite simple, just meet you there, and etc. right? So now those, those things have become more difficult. You have to sign in. and But we will not let that stop us. The first words that Jesus says are courage, courage. Your sins are forgiven. And if Jesus said courage, well, that meant that the paralytic must have been quite discouraged. He must have been discouraged. Probably, maybe even depressed. Maybe on the verge of despair. And maybe that's why he was brought by his friends. Because they saw how discouraged he was, how despairing, how how maybe grumpy he was, or maybe he lacked energy to do anything about his situation. He probably felt himself to be quite useless in the situation. I can't walk, I can't get around, uh, I can't help anyone. What am I good for, he thought. What am I good for? And this fact of his physical limitation must have clouded his vision, Maybe he had become very cynical and negative about his life. And perhaps that's partly why his friends 
brought him to see Jesus. And I'm sure this, this event of these men bringing Jesus to heal their friend, but in the end, the, the first thing that Jesus does is that he forgives him his sins, and then after he is healed, as a proof that Jesus really has the power to forgive sins because he is God, I'm sure that that had an impact, of course, when Jesus, afterwards, at the, uh, at the time of the resurrection, came to the apostles, specifically, he, we are told, breathed on them, he breathed on them, and said, whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whose sins you retain, they are retained. But he had to breathe on them. That was the breath of the Holy Spirit. He was transmitting the power that he had to forgive. He was transmitting it to those apostles right there. That is the power of holy orders right there. The forgiveness of sins. So that they can ask, they can act in the person of Christ. And imagine if today you have somebody breathing on you, that's not a good sign, right? You have to wear your mask. And, uh, but the opposite was true with Jesus. If Jesus came here now, during COVID, and breathed on us, well, that would be better than any vaccine, right? Like, way better, right? And we would not be afraid, because he would not, he would not, uh, well, I suppose he could have COVID, but the, but the, but we wouldn't get damaged. And in the case of the paralytic, well, Jesus knew very well that he was discouraged, that he was despondent, uh, maybe that he felt depressed uh, because of his state, that he was demoralized and weak and hopeless, kind of stuck in a rut, and maybe mad, mad, mad at his situation in life. And maybe you have friends that are kind of in that situation now. Discouraged, despondent, a bit depressed, demoralized, weak, and mad. Or stuck in a rut. His inter internal dialogue would have been something like, you know, that I'm not worth much, I can't do anything in this state of mind, I'm a burden to others, I'm not useful. And so, starting from this passage of the Gospel, we can see who are the friends that we can bring to confession? And what role can we have in, in really being like the friends of the paralytic? It may mean removing tiles from the ceiling. In other words, taking a special effort to help our friends. First praying for them, and then, of course, broaching the subject. When was the last time you went to confession? And they said, well, it hasn't been a long time. Well, here's what you can do. Maybe you can read this examination of conscience. You can read, here are some questions. There are some basic little pamphlets out there that help. And uh, you can say, I know a priest you can go to. I know a place where you can go to. And then help them out. Maybe you can go first and then they go after. And, uh, but we have to, you know, some people just need to be taken by the hand. And we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't give in to the, to the difficulties. Now, we don't know the age of this man. We don't even know his name. But I suspect that he was quite young, since his friends were young enough to undo a, a roof tiles. So 
he probably was, if they were his friends, I would suspect they were, they were, he was probably young. Um, but if our Lord said courage and he was discouraged, it's probably because he couldn't see a clear path with regards to his future. Meaning that he was young about his possibilities. He couldn't see that because of his situation. And, and yet after, when our Lord said, Courage, your sins are forgiven, and then he healed him, I'm sure that that paralytic went on to become super famous among the early Christians. He probably gave talks, TED Talks, and uh, autographs here and there, and said, well, then they lowered me down, and I didn't think I was going to... And then, oh yeah, and then what happened, what happened? Well, then they did this, and then, you know, people, interviews, and... Uh, and now on our podcast today, we have an interview with uh, the paralytic. No, I'm sure they, that he recounted the story over and over and over. And how our Lord changed his life because he went from, from being discouraged about his future and the future that, that the possibilities that lay ahead to actually dreaming about the future. So do you dream about your life? Not as paralyzed or unable to advance. But do you dream about actively contributing to the good of the church, to those around you, uh, around you, with your apostolate, with your good example, your good humor, and especially with your apostolate of confession? Your apostolic confession. Because when we think about the real root of all discouragement, the real root of all evil ultimately is sin for all of us. Sin. And uh, you could say that the paralytic, he was a real paralytic, of course, but, but, but that paralysis is really a sign of the effect of sin or an image of the effect of sin in a soul. If you have sin, you can't, you can't move. You can't move around. You're like a par par paralyzed. And, uh, well, Jesus, this is exactly what you addressed. You forgave his sins. That was the most important thing. And uh, the devil had already worked on him and achieved some form of discouragement and sadness and stress and maybe crushed his spirits. And that's what the devil wants. He is... He is uh, He's always kind of lobbying for discouragement and sadness. Those are his allies. Right? The allies of the devil are sadness and discouragement. And naturally, we do not want to be in league with any of the allies of the, of the devil. Those minions that have pretty much the same effect as the, that the devil can have in, an, in a soul, or at least similar. That is, they take us away from God and they make us lose our faith. Those things. Uh, discouragement, sadness, uh, despair. Whether it's original sin, actual sin, mortal sin, venial sin. Sin always drains the life out of each one of us. That's what it does. You get, imagine getting drained out of the life out of you. 
And so as we walk away from God with our sin, we grow spiritually weaker and weaker uh, till we go into the point that we can no longer have the strength to go back home to God our Father. But with God's forgiveness, with confession, no problem, we can start again. We can begin again. We can start over. Remember what, what Jesus told him. He said to him, Well, take up your pallet and go home. Go home. If you're told, hey, go home. Well, it sounds like a, a reprimand. You know, go home. Get out of here. Get out of here. Go home. But really, he was told, though it sounds like a reprimand, and it kind of like sounds like he was told to go away. He was not told to go on an outlandish adventure. But Jesus was inviting him to go back to his normally, normal place, that is his home, and to be a good example there, and to play his role there. Others, others like the apostles who were told, go into the whole world. You know, go into the whole world, preach the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these will be the signs of those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hand. And if they drink any deadly poison, they will not harm them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will be made well. I remember a friend who, who he owns about uh, 36 different snakes. And he, when he read that, he said, this is me. I pick up snakes. <laughs> and uh, that's, when he read that, that's what made him want to go to confession. Right? So he wouldn't get bitten by snakes. Right? But our saint was not told to go out into the whole world everywhere preaching the gospel. That's not what he was invited to do. He was invited to go home. And that's, well, that's what he was asked to do. Others are asked to do other things. In other words, he didn't go on these big adventures. He took seriously, I would say that, the idea of going home. Because there was something at home that God wanted him to do, or Jesus wanted him to do. He's kind of like the saint of the unknown. We don't know his friends. Uh, rather, we don't know his name. But we know he was probably known to the early Christians. And uh, probably because he lived a real life of thanksgiving and he did apostolate in Capernaum right there. In fact, some of the oldest representations of the miracles of Jesus show an ancient fresco of the paralytic. And it's an, it's a, it's an ancient fresco from, I'm told, is from Syria in the walled fortifications of a place called Duro Uropos, which was identified as a early Christian home church. Like it was a home that had been used as a church. And it probably dates to the early 3rd century. So uh, this early church, it was both a home church, before, that was before Christianity became you know, uh, public or, or, or recognized universally, had this kind of fresco in it. And they, I don't know how they did this, but they removed the fresco. Now it's in the Yale University Art Gallery in Connecticut. And um, 
it shows on this fresco this kind of rather rigid looking drawing of Jesus pointing like that and he's pointing to the paralytic and the paralytic is kind of sitting on a grill which looks like a grill on his back but it's really you know the stretcher that they lowered him down on but whoever drew them made it look like a grill you know but uh, they just didn't have that great uh, you know abilities but uh, and so it would have been placed in a baptistry and meant to suggest that baptism also raises the soul to a healthy state through the forgiveness of sins. And uh, this is an ancient, it's an ancient uh, fresco. It's beautiful to see how, how the early Christians identified the paralytic with what happens to us in baptism. That is the absolute forgiveness of our sins, and also, of course, what happens to us every time we go to confession. But for us, the result has to be really that we engage in an active apostolate of confession. Try to maybe think of some friends that you can invite to go to confession, help them along the way. Maybe they're afraid. Maybe they, they have some, I don't know, some ideas that people have told them that have made them panic or something. Facilitate that. And it's one of the greatest things you could do. It's one of the greatest acts of charity and greatest acts of service that you can do for a friend to lead them to confession. To somebody, a priest who will help them along. And, and then what's important is to ensure that they go to the next confession. Right? That they don't just go once, and, uh, but they go habitually. And divine providence will open horizons to you and help you and I right, to see why paralysis and pain and suffering happens. But if we see God's plan, God's love in His providence, we can also be very apostolic right, in leading souls to Jesus and helping them, you could say, take up that courage, right, that joy of being His uh, followers. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.